Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of the Need to Lead podcast, where we explore everything leadership related in order to help you get the best out of yourself and out of those around you. And on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to speak about a very important aspect of leading yourself, which will then filter into leading others at some point down the line. But regardless of whether your intention is to one day be a leader in a formal sense or just a general sort of character trait of a sense or not, if you have no ambition to ever lead anyone else to do anything, it's fine. This is still going to apply. And this aspect of leadership, when it comes to changing your own behaviors, your own way of looking at things, your own way of responding and reacting to different situations, is going to serve you first and foremost. And it is all about habits, how to change your habits for the better, how to stop doing the habits that don't serve you, how to start doing the habits that do serve you. And how to set yourself up for success in a way that doesn't require you just to rely on willpower and motivation to drag yourself to the finish line. And I'm sure we've all had experiences in the past where you set a goal for yourself, you set an intention, something that you want to do, something that you'd love to achieve. But the way you go about it makes it so difficult and so hard that you can only actually sustain it for a week, maybe a month at a push. But at some stage, you just run into a brick wall. The motivation's gone. The willpower is gone. Your willingness to keep going is zero. You feel like there's just no light at the end of the tunnel. You can't sustain this. It's too demanding. It's too fatiguing. It's too difficult. And you give up. And when that happens, we go back to what we've done in the past that got us to that starting point where we weren't happy. We wanted to make a change. But not only are we now back there, we're back there having failed, having had an effort that didn't work. And that can have massive consequences and negative consequences for us because not only are we stuck in a position where we hate and we're not happy and we don't want to be, but now we've also got evidence of a past attempt that we've tried and failed. And so it plays into this mentality that this is how I am and this is how I'm stuck. No matter what I try, I can never succeed. And I know from my own experience being a, an ex-personal trainer and helping clients, particularly with weight loss, is one of the most common things that I heard. It was clients who'd say, I've tried everything and nothing works. I've done it all and nothing works. All the diets, all the gyms, all the training programs, I've tried and failed over and over again. And the reason why habits play such a big role into this is because everything, more or less, that we do on a daily basis is a habit. I think it's something like 80 to 90% of your actions on a day-to-day basis are habit-driven. And habits are unconscious for the most part. They're things that we just do on autopilot. And their ways of acting, of behaving and interacting with the world and with other people that have become ingrained within us, that we do them as a natural response. We don't think about it. We don't have to say, oh, you know, oh, I think I'm going to do that now. It just happens. And sometimes we're in the middle of it. And we don't even realize it's one of those moments where you catch yourself. You're like, what am I doing? <laughs> I didn't even know I was doing this. It all happened. It was like someone just took control of my body and put me here and made me do this thing. Like a smoker who just pulls out a cigarette and lights up when they get stressed or when they get off the phone after a heated phone call or when they go out for a smoke after a heated debate in the boardroom or whatever else it is. We have tons of these little habits. And one habit in isolation is not going to make or break you. It's like if you're eating, uh, trying to lose weight and eat a salad for lunch. That's not going to make you skinny. But it's when these habits get stacked and layered on top of each other and then get repeated day after day, month after month, year after year, you end up in places that you do not want to be. And a lot of this will come from the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is honestly one of the best books I've ever read. Actually, no, that's a lie. It's not one of the best books I've ever read because I've actually never read it. 
I listened to it. But it's one of the best books I've ever listened to. And I'd imagine it will be one of the best books I've ever read if I actually read it. But it's such a great book. And it breaks this down into ways that are so easy and so relatable that you can actually take and go and implement immediately. So if you're vibing with what I'm saying, if you're enjoying the podcast, this episode, and the kind of stuff I'm speaking about here, go and check out that book. James Clear is excellent. The book is excellent. And you'll get so much value from it. And one of the ways he kicks off that book is by speaking about the importance of habits, as I've just done there for the past couple of minutes. But he gives a great analogy as to just how fundamental they can be in changing the trajectory of your life. And I can't remember the exact details, but he gave the example of if you were to board a plane, right, going from, I think it was Washington to California, which two opposite sides of the US from East Coast to West Coast, and you were on the plane, right, and you were sitting there on the runway waiting to take off. And just before the pilot, took off and went to get into the sky, he adjusted the nose of the plane. So the direction the plane is headed in, he just tilted it off by a couple of degrees. And then he took off and went as normal. Well, the intended destination would have been to land in California. But in reality, he would have ended up and landed miles away from the destination because time multiplies the effects of all these things. And if he had just been traveling five minutes down the road, that little change, that couple of degrees change in direction wouldn't have made a big deal but because they were traveling over such a vast difference that little difference that little change in direction had a massive impact on where they actually ended up and that's how habits play in your life right having the habit of going for a walk once today that won't change anything right you might feel a little bit better but in terms of jumping on the scales with weight loss or anything like that you won't see a result but if you go for a 10 minute walk today and you make the habit to that every day and you do that for the next five, 10 years, that has massive positive consequences, massive impacts for you. And it's something small, but it's not the size of the change. It's the consistency and the frequency at which it's repeated. That's what makes the big difference. And that's why habits ultimately become these almost hidden forces that shape our lives. So I want to run into the way James clear breaks down which i think is a great way of doing of what are the four laws of behavior change what are the ways that if i want to begin a new habit and implement a new habit into my life i can do that as a leader but as a person to lead myself more successfully toward the version of me that i want to be and then also how to stop doing things how to break habits because oftentimes what's holding us back from being who we want to be or achieving the goals we have isn't that we're not doing something it's not that we need to go and start doing something new. A lot of the time, it's we need to just stop doing some of the shit we are doing that we know we shouldn't be doing, but for one reason or another, we keep repeating it. And there was a great quote that I heard before about carving a statue. And they say that carving a statue is a process of subtraction, not addition. So in order to get to your masterpiece, you don't get there by getting a load of clay or whatever they use to make statues and throwing it on top. That would ruin the structure. What you do is get your, your chisel and your hammer and you chip away at it. And you remove the pieces that aren't part, of the, aren't part of the masterpiece. So at the end, what you're left with is the prize. And that's very true for a lot of people. Is It's not a case that they need to stop or need to start doing something new. They need to stop a lot of the stuff that they're doing. Excessive eating, smoking, skipping gym sessions, uh, being uncommunicative in relationships and not speaking their mind, not holding boundaries, not bringing up issues when they arise. There's a lot of stuff that if we stopped doing, we'd actually be a hell of a lot closer to where we wanted to be. And so that's what we're going to cover in this episode is those four laws of behavior change and how you can begin to implement them. And I'll try to give plenty of practical examples throughout this. So it makes sense and you can actually take away from this and say, oh, you know what? 
This is a habit I want to go implement, and this is how I'm going to do it. And the way that habits are broken down, there's four stages of a habit. It's cue, craving, response, and reward. So cue, this is the trigger. This is the thing that you see or that happens. That's your kind of intention. Say, okay, shit, right? It's go time. We need to get the habit. So I think of the cue as being, let's say you are trying to eat healthy, right? But you know temptations around you. You're trying to eat healthy. So you know you shouldn't be dipping your hand in the cookie jar. But you walk into the office and you see on the desk in front of you, someone, someone's birthday, someone brought in a big plate of cookies to celebrate the birthday. That's the cue. You walk in, you see those cookies like, oh, shit, here we go. I know I shouldn't do this, but, you know, the cookies are there. So we've visually seen a cue that's triggered us to say, okay, what happens next? The next step in that chain then is the craving. So we've seen the cue. I've seen the cookies. Now we got that craving. And that's that internal feeling we get where it's like, I really want the cookie. You know, I'd really love one of those cookies. They look nice. So that's the internal emotion that we feel once we've been subject to the cue. It's that urge that desire to take action, or in some cases, depending on the habit, to not take action. Like if you're a cigarette smoker, for example, you've had a stressful interaction with somebody, that was your cue, now you're craving this, oh, I need a smoke, I need a smoke to calm me down. I feel this rush of cortisol, I'm angry, I'm getting flustered, I'm frustrated, I need a smoke. And we crave whatever the, the habit is. The next step in that chain then is the response. So that's when we actually go and complete the habit, take the action whether it's picking up a cigarette and smoking it, whether it's grabbing that cookie and wolfing it down without even chewing the thing, whether it's going to the gym and exercising, whether it's going out for a walk, whether it's having a conversation with somebody, whatever the habit may be, going grabbing a bottle of beer from the fridge and down it in one, that's when we go and take the action. So first we see the cue, we get a craving, we do the response, and next is the reward. And the reward isn't the reward in the conventional sense. It's not like uh, when you're in primary school, and you're a good little boy and they give you a sticker and maybe a card to bring home to your mom to say how good of a boy you are. It's an internal reward. And that reward tends to be a dopamine release. In other words, we feel good. Think of that feeling if you're, I've never smoked a cigarette, so I don't actually know if this is how it works, but my, that feeling you get once you've taken that first puff, and it's like, oh, and you can just relax. Or that immediate feeling of satisfaction when you bite into that cookie and you feel it breaking apart in your mouth. And how good that feels. Or that feeling after an exercise session when you really pushed yourself and you're sweating, you can barely breathe and you think you can taste blood in the back of your mouth. But for some reason, it's great. It feels good. And that's the reward. And the reward is such an important part of this because we love rewards. We want to feel good. We want to enjoy those moments. And so making stuff rewarding is one of the ways we can actually improve our habits or improve our uptake of new habits. But to give you a bit of background, those are the four steps of any habit. Cue, craving, response, reward. And just take a second to think about a habit right now that you would love to change in your life. Something you would love to start doing or you'd love to stop doing. And think, how do these steps map out for me? So let's say I want to start eating healthier. I want to start eating more fruit. Right? I want to start eating more bananas. That's fruit of choice. Right? A cue. What's the cue I need? Well, I need to be able to actually see a banana. If I don't have them in the house, if they're not easily accessible... You know, if I have to go walk 10 minutes to the shop to get a banana, chances are I'm not going to start doing it. It's not going to be something I can fit into my lifestyle. Craving, once I see the banana, am I craving a banana? I know the benefits it's going to give me. I know how good I'm going to feel. Maybe it will give me some energy. Maybe I just like the taste of it, whatever it is. The response, then I go and eat the banana. And then the reward is, feel great. 
I've eaten the banana, I've eaten something healthy, I've got one of my five a day, I've got potassium, I've got vitamins, I've got minerals, I'm one step closer to being the healthy version myself. It's lower in calories than a chocolate bar, so I'm saving some calories that I can have a nice bit of food later on without feeling guilty, etc. So there's all these things, and if you break down any of the habits that you have, you'll find the steps map out quite well. And it's important we have identified those to begin with because they are what we're going to use now to step into the four steps and the four elements of behavior change, the four laws of behavior change, as James Clear calls it. And each one of the laws maps to each stage of the habit loop. So the fourth one is Q. So remember, that's the fourth step. We get that Q. But the fourth law of change in the behavior or change in your habit is to make the, th the habit visible. And this applies to habits that you want to start doing. We'll talk about ones you want to stop doing in a minute because it's very similar, but just a little bit different. So this is for anything new you want to bring into your life. I want to start eating healthier. I want to start going to the gym more often. I want to start having difficult conversations sooner. I want to start showing up better at work, you know, putting more effort in and actually going to progress. I want to start saving more money. Whatever it is, when you want to start implementing a new habit or new behavior, these are the laws. And the fourth is to make it visible. Make it visible. Make it that you can see it. And obviously an easy example for this is I used bananas earlier. So let's say you want to start eating apples. And James Clear actually gives this example in the book. He says he had this habit that he would buy apples every week in shopping. Every single week he'd spend money on apples. And he'd bring them home. He'd put them in the little drawer at the bottom of the fridge, leave them in there and forget about them. They will be forgotten about the second that door shuts. And then the next week he'd come back and he'd look at the bottom drawer of the fridge and he'd see there's a load of rotten apples in there. And he'd be pissed off because one, he didn't eat an apple all week, but number two, he's just wasted money and he's thrown out food. So the reason why he was failing with that habit of eating more apples is because they weren't visible. He couldn't see them. When he opened the fridge, his eyes weren't looking down at the bottom drawer. And the old saying is true, out of sight, out of mind. So they were out of sight. They didn't come to mind. He didn't think of them. He'd grab something else out of the fridge. And before you know it, he's thrown out another batch of rotten apples. So in order to fix that and change his habit so he consumed more apples he moved them up in the fridge he stopped putting them down in the bottom drawer he put them at a place in the fridge that was eye level now anytime you open the drawer of the fridge bang you can see the apples in front of me take one out and eat it and sometimes it is just as simple as that make it visible so if eating healthier is something that you want to start doing make it visible to do that you know put your healthy food out somewhere whether it's in the presses or in the fridge or somewhere that's actually visible for you, if you have to go rooting for it, if you have to go searching for it, if you have, if you have to stand in the center of the kitchen scratching your head for 10 minutes thinking, where did I put the chicken fillets? Or where did I put the veg? Or where did I put the basmati rice? If it's not visible immediately for you, you're in, in, increasing the amount of friction that comes into actually making that decision and doing the right thing for you and acting on the habit that you want to bring into your life. So make it visible, make it easily identifiable. This is what I want to do. And this is the habit. This is the thing, whether it's food, if it's going to the gym, for example, an easy one there, make it visible. Well, leave your gym gear out at the end of your bed. So whether you're going first thing in the morning, you get up, bang, first thing you see is gym shoes, pair of shorts, t-shirts, a jumper. Your gym, gym gear is there. It's hard. You don't have to think. And just by having that as a simple habit, straight up out of bed into my gym gear, before I know it, I'm on the road and heading to the gym. Or whether it's going for a run during your lunch break. Maybe it's, well, I'm going to leave my running shoes right beside my desk. So when I stand up at my break time, the first thing I'll see will be my running shoes. And then I'll take off my work shoes. 
going to put on my running shoes and then I'm in the flow of things. So it's making it easy for yourself. It's removing any friction. It's removing any of the barriers to implementation that we have so that you don't have to think about it. The habit is set up. It's on, on autopilot. It's there. It's ready to go. And he talks a lot about that in the book. And I think it's such an important point to make is that when you look at people who you think are highly motivated, someone who you see who never misses a gym session, maybe always eats well, maybe someone who always shows up, they're always early for work, they're always on time, they always get their work done when it needs to be done. They're super reliable and consistent and they show up just as they need to every single time. It's easy to look at people like that and think they just have it. They have motivation, they have willpower, and I don't. The reason why they're so good at this is because they have so much motivation. They have so much desire, ambition, and willpower. And I don't have quite the same level. So I could never compete with that person. When in reality, the fact is the people who have the most motivation and willpower are the ones who set up their lives in a way where they don't have to rely on it so often. And it's one of the big reasons why I see people fail so early on so much in these attempts to make new things happen is because they rely too much on motivation and willpower. They think they can go and just go about life in the exact same way as they did before they implemented the new habits and just have their motivation willpower be strong enough to carry them all the way through. And it doesn't work. The best way to be more motivated and have more willpower is to set up your environment in a way where it doesn't depend on those things to be successful. Because if your only chance of eating better or getting to the gym or saving money or improving your relationships is your motivation and willpower to go and do it, chances are it's not going to last. It won't sustain very long and you won't make too much progress before you get fed up, feel like not doing that anymore and give up and quit. So the fourth step and fourth law in changing these behaviors is make it visible for yourself. Make it visible, make it easy to see. And that applies to starting new habits. Now, if there's habits you want to stop doing, the inverse is true. So rather than make it visible, make it invisible. In other words, make it difficult to see. So if you want to stop, let's say you want to stop eating shit food every time you go to the fridge, you're prone to maybe grab a bit of chocolate or a biscuit or whatever else it is, make it invisible. So rather than have it somewhere where it's front of mind, as soon as you open the fridge, you're met with it, put it down the bottom of the fridge and put it at the top of the press or put it out in the shed or put it somewhere where it's not visible and there's a bit of effort needed from you to go and get it. Because, and I put myself in this bracket, how many people are guilty of not eating crap because they're bored, because they're hungry, not eating crap because they're actually even craving it. It's just because you're bored. Because you go to grab something out of press and you see it there. You're like, oh, there's a pack of biscuits, sir. Oh, there's a packet of crisps, sir. Oh, there's a slice of cake. And before you know it, you're already indulging in it. And if it wasn't there, you wouldn't be craving it. You wouldn't be going looking for it. It's just the fact that it was sitting right in front of you. So if we can make it easy for ourselves to not have to even make that decision by getting it over eyesight, and putting it somewhere where if we really, really, really wanted it, we'd have to go and put in a little bit of effort to get it. Chances are you'd immediately reduce the amount of bad foods that you eat. And that same thing plays true for all the habits that we want to bring in. If it's to stop smoking cigarettes, well, maybe you leave your cigarettes in a place that are too easy to access. If it's alcohol, maybe I have you know, cans of beer in the fridge all week and I want to stop drinking. I don't want to have a drink every night of the week. But when I go to the fridge, you know, after I put the kids to bed, I met with a bottle of Corona that's calling me name. Well, take it out of the fridge. Put it out in the shed. Or maybe don't buy it in shopping. Maybe cut down your consumption. So you only buy maybe two or three bottles a week. You buy them on a Friday night. They stay in the fridge over the weekend. If any are left at the end of the weekend, you throw them out. 
and you only have beer in the fridge on weekends and outside of that you don't have any in the fridge during the week because if it's not visible you won't consume it and if you really wanted some well now you have to actually get up go to the shop buy the beer bring it home and then drink it and chances are just the even mental thought of having to expend that much effort and energy to get it will turn you off even wanting it altogether. and that's the fourth step in the habit loop and often that's it often you don't even need to go beyond that step just by taking that force one there's so much value because if you want to start doing something and you make it more visible almost by osmosis you're going to do it or conversely if you want to stop doing something and you make it invisible or make it harder to do it then it, almost by osmosis again you stop doing it because you don't want to expend that effort or energy to to achieve the thing you can't see it so it's not top of mind so you don't even think about it and this is setting up our environment in a way that helps us to be more successful. So we're not dependent on willpower or discipline or any of those things, our motivation to be successful. We're setting ourselves up for it. So the next step then, after making it visible, is to make it attractive. Now, this can get a little bit strange because you think, well, there's nothing attractive about getting up at four o'clock in the morning to go to the gym before work or anything like that. All right? And look, I hear you on that 100%, but it's not quite what this one means. And this applies to the second step in the four steps of habits. So first one was cue. The next one is craving. So we crave it, right? We get that feeling, oh, I want to smoke. Oh, I want a bottle of beer. Oh, I want to eat a cookie. Oh, I want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix and skip the gym. These are the cravings we get. So if you want to introduce new behaviors, what we need to do is make them attractive. Make it attractive for us to go and have an apple right if you want to eat healthier make it attractive for us to go out and get on get, get out for a run if it's been more active in our day-to-day life and introduce more physical activity or if it's saving more money make it attractive for you to actually go and be able to save more money to put money in your savings account at the end of each month and when we look at making these habits attractive it's not that we're looking at them and thinking oh that looks great that sounds so cool because you can't lie to yourself you can't trick yourself into saying oh yeah I love that. I love going to the gym every morning before work. Some mornings you will. Some mornings you will hate it and hate every second of it. So it's not about living in a fantasy land where you're just doing this and lying to yourself saying how attractive it is. But it's looking at what's the benefits this is having for me. Because one of the hardest things about changing your behaviors is a thing called future discount. And it's a bias that humans have and we're all subject to it. But generally the ones who are most successful in life are the ones who are able to recognize it and not fall into its trap. Because what we are great at as humans in future discount is weighing the present way much more than the future. In other words, thinking that the present is so much more important than the future. And they've done tons of studies on this stuff. If you ask someone, would you rather a thousand euro today or 1200 euro this day next year? So in other words, you can have a grand today or I'll give you 1200 quid, but you have to wait 12 months to get it. On average, I think it's 80 something percent of people take the money today. Why? Why would they do that when they know all they have to do is wait a year and then get 20% more money for nothing, for just waiting? Well, it's because we are in that situation and we think, well, you know what? I'd rather just have the money now. And in a year from now, maybe I'll need the money, but you know what? I'll figure that out then. Give me the money. Thanks very much. And that's what we do when we make all these decisions. We know we should eat healthier. We know we shouldn't skip the gym. But today, in this moment, takeaway sounds so good. You know, there'll be more days I can make up a gym session another day, but Netflix released a new series of something and I want to sit down and watch that. And we weigh the present a hell of a lot more than the future. And that's what future discounting is. 
And what makes it so hard to implement new habits and change our behaviors is that often when it comes to making good choices, the payoff for them, the pain that we get from them is immediate and the payoffs in the future. And the opposite is true for the bad habits we want to stop doing. The payoff is immediate, but the pain is in the future. So if I map that out and just look at it from a health and fitness perspective, if you want to be healthier, eat better food, make better food choices, well, the pain of that is right now. Because in order to live by that, you can't eat as much bad foods. You'll have to probably give up your takeaways every night of the week. You'll have to cut down your alcohol consumption, right? So that's right now. You have to do that now so that you can get the payoff in a few months' time. This time next year, you'll be down weight. You'll be healthier. You'll have more energy. But right now, you're going to feel a little bit worse. Life's going to get a bit more difficult. You may not enjoy it as much. You're going to have to watch your calories. You're going to have to cut down your alcohol consumption, etc. And people, for the most part, don't want to do it. So it's immediately painful for a long-term payoff. Whereas the bad habits, they pay off right now. If I go and get a takeaway, tastes great. If I have a couple of beers, I feel great. If I skip the gym to watch Netflix, I'm relaxed, I'm chilled, it's great. But the pain comes in the future. I'm overweight, I'm unhappy, I'm going for medical checks, blood pressure's high, the doctors think there's something wrong. And that's when we're met with the reality of the situation. But when we're so caught up in right now and not aware of the consequences of the choices we're making, we unconsciously just roll into making the wrong ones because we think, well, this is what I want to do right now. So let me just do that. And whatever the consequences are, I'll worry about them in the future. And it would be a great way of operating if the future didn't exist and we never had to face them. But we do. So we need to be conscious of that. So when we want to make new habits, the fourth step is we want to make, well, the fourth step was to make it visible. The next step is to make it attractive. And one of the easiest ways to make it attractive is to think of that. What is the payoff I'm getting off this? What is the long-term benefit to me? Because to a certain degree, we all have a vision of the person we want to be in the future. And if you don't, you should. Take some time out. Identify that. What do I want life to look like for me five, 10 years from now? And if you find it hard to go to that extent in that timeline, pull it back even a year from now, two years from now, six months from now. Where do you want to be? Because I guarantee if someone put a gun to your head and say, what would life, if you had three wishes, right? You rubbed the magic lamp and the genie came out and gave you three wishes, said you could change anything about your life over the next six months, what would it be? You would struggle to find anyone who could honestly hand on heart say nothing. Now, you can be grateful for what you have for sure. You can be really grateful for having a healthy family and you know having a job and maybe being able to make ends meet and put food on the table, et cetera, and that's fine. But most people have ambitions for more than just making ends meet in life. They don't just want to settle for mediocrity, right? Everyone does, I believe, and should have big visions for what they want from their life. They should be ambitious. But if you're going to realize any of that ambition and be successful with it, we need to take actions today that we won't see any results from, but do it confident in the knowledge that at some point in the future, this is going to pay off. So when we want to make these habits attractive, that's what we need to look at. What's the payoff? What's the benefit? Because right now, the benefit for me of eating a healthy salad over getting a Chinese it doesn't feel like there's much of a payoff. That feels like a, a loss in that situation. And it is today. But if that's the decision that gets repeated week on week, month on month, year over year, year over year for the next two, three years, you can tell what much of a how much of a different position I'll be in if I choose the salad compared to the Chinese everywhere. So these are the things you need to look at and be honest with yourself as well. Because when we can do that and when we can emotionally connect with that vision of who do I want to be? What are the choices I need to make to support that? That's how we make these habits more attractive. 
because it ties into our sense of identity. And a lot of our habits, pretty much all of them, are identity-based. They're wrapped up in this idea, this vision in our head of who I am as a person. Because if you're someone who views yourself as a, a great parent, for example, let's say you're a mother or a father and you think, I'm a great parent, but think of the things you'll do in order to live up to the identity. You'll sacrifice sleep, you'll change shitty nappies, you'll give up a social life for the first few months of your life, you'll breastfeed or make bottles and feed, you'll spend outrageous amounts of money to educate the kid, to feed the kids, to cloth the kid, and expect very little to nothing ever in return for it. You'll have to sacrifice being able just to go out at the drop of a hat or go on a holiday here or just do random spontaneous things because a kid needs to be minded and looked after. So you are willing to sacrifice so much in order to live up to the identity. So when we can get in touch, well, what's the aspirational identity for me in this field, whether it's your business, your health and fitness, your relationships, when we can get in touch with that and have this vision of who do I want to be, it's a lot easier to tie our habits to it. If we don't have that, we'll drift. We'll just meander through life and be up and down. And we'll kind of go with the flow, but never really achieve anything and never feel like we're getting anywhere. So being in touch with that aspirational identity, having a vision for what you want for yourself in whatever area it is you want to improve your habits and then getting in touch with that and mapping it out to the aspirational identity makes it so much easier for us and you to implement these new habits. And conversely, then when it comes to stopping habits, what we need to do is make it unattractive to do that. So if we want to stop doing something, we need to make it unattractive. And again, it's the same principle applies. We need to tie that to who, who's the version of you you want to be. What is your aspirational identity? Because if you've got the aspirational identity of being someone who's healthy, right, who's in old age, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, is able to look after themselves, doesn't depend on other people to uh, carry them up and downstairs, to change their nappies, to feed them, to bring them around. You want to be independent. You want to live a long, healthy, happy life. You want to improve your health span to match your lifespan. But you never exercise. You're physically inactive. Your diet is terrible. You drink alcohol most days of the week. You smoke cigarettes 10, 15 a day, right? You've got this aspirational identity and your habits do not line up to it. And that's how we make them unattractive. Say, well, all these habits, all these little actions I'm taking are not moving me any closer to who I want to be. And there's a great quote within the book where James Clear says, every habit or every action you take, sorry, every action you take is a vote for the kind of person you want to be. And I think that's a great lens to look at these things through is is the action I'm taking here a vote for the person I want to be or not? Is it moving me closer to the version of myself I would want to be? Or is it moving me further away from that? And when we can get in touch with that and start using that as a lens to make decisions from, am I going to do this or not? Change the, does this help me or not? And if it does, let me do it. If it doesn't, then I'm not going to do it or I'm going to stop doing it. And that's when we make our habits attractive for new ones or unattractive for ones we want to stop doing and not carry with us into the future. So the next law of habit change then is a very interesting one and one that I speak so much about to clients that people often brush over and often ignore and neglect because they think it's stupid, too basic, too elementary, but it works. And it's make it easy. So make it easy for yourself to do the habit. Make it easy for yourself to go and implement this new thing. Make it easy. Now, I know what you're thinking, especially if you've got a health or fitness goal. It will never be easy to go to the gym and walk out. Or it'll never be easy to motivate myself to pick a salad over a Chinese takeaway. Or it will never be easy to do these things. I'm not saying make it easy in the sense of 
go in the gym, just mess about for 10 minutes and leave and then say, I went to the gym. Now, that would be a good starting point. But obviously, it's going to be challenging. It's not going to be easy from that sense. But what we say when we mean make it easy is make it easy for yourself to actually go and do it. Because the last thing we want to do when we're implementing new habits is to overwhelm your system, to make you feel like you need to go from zero to 100 overnight. Because that's unrealistic. But it's an expectation so many of us put on ourselves when we go to do something new. Think about it. How many times have you started something new, tried something novel, you went for the first time, you were pretty bad at it, and you said, you know what? I'm never going again. Fuck that. It's not for me. I've had it in my own life countless times. The first few times I went to a gym, the first few times I was in fitness classes, that sort of thing where you're like, I am the worst in the class here. I can't do a push-up, can't squat. You know, I can't do any of this stuff. Planks killing me. I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm never coming back. I'm not a fitness buff. This isn't for me. And it's not true because nobody starts off great at that stuff. The ones who get great are the ones who start and stay consistent and keep going back and keep showing up. And that's how they become great at it. But most of us never hit that stage because we give up too soon because we set ourselves such high expectations and we kill ourselves and set ourselves up for failure from the get-go. So what we want to do with new habits you want to start is make it easy to implement them. And again, in the book, James Clear gives a great example of a, a two-minute rule is what he calls it. So this idea that whatever the habit is you want to start, there's this two-minute rule to follow, which is whatever the habit is, give yourself two minutes and you have to do it for two minutes. Once the two minutes is up, you can stop. You can go home. You can pack it up and leave. I don't care. But you have to commit to two minutes. Now, you might think, why two minutes? And the answer is actually just very simple because everyone has two minutes. You might say, I can't go to the gym because I haven't got an hour to do that. You might say, I can't cook a healthy meal because I haven't got you know an hour and a half to sit here preparing food and blah, blah, blah. You might say, I can't start meditating or journaling because I haven't got the time. I can't read a book because I'm too busy, etc." which is fine. And maybe it's true to some degree, but everyone can spare at least two minutes. Let's say you've got a new habit you want to start, which is I want to start reading more. I want to start reading more books. Well, apply the two minute rule to make it easy. Rather than overwhelming yourself by saying, oh, I want to read a book a week, which is a very hard feat to do, particularly if you're strapped for time. Use the two minute rule. Say every day after dinner, whatever it is, I'm going to read this book for two minutes. So I'm going to set a timer on my phone. I'm going to open my book. And when that timer goes off after two minutes, I'm going to close the book and that's it, done, I'm finished. And the beauty of that is it's so simple, but so effective. Because what you'll find is one of two things will happen. Either one, you'll complete it, you'll do your two minutes, you'll finish the book and you'll get a sense of achievement that you've set a goal and actually follow through with it. Because it's the frequency that matters. The more we can do it, it doesn't matter if it was only two minutes, that's irrelevant. What matters is you set a goal, you held yourself to a standard, you showed up and completed it, and you get the reward from that, that dopamine rush, that feeling of, yeah, I did that, which is great. But another thing that commonly happens is you set the two-minute rule, you open the book, you start reading, the timer goes off after two minutes, and you say, you know what, I'm going to keep reading. I'm sitting here, I have a bit of time, I might as well keep going, which is even better, because now you've actually stepped into that new habit of reading more, really stepping into it. And it's something that I used to say to clients sometimes, and they'd always laugh about it or kind of brush over it, but it works is if you've got a gym session that you want to do, you've got a workout that you've got planned or an exercise session that needs to get done, but you know, you're kind of debating, should I do it or not? Set yourself essentially a version of the two-minute rule, which is just do the warm-up. So if you've got a workout, let's say, that you need to get done, but you're not feeling it, you're a bit tired, you're not sure if you should do it or not, or you just want to be a bit lazy and skip it. 
give yourself that as a task. Just go to the gym and all you have to do is the warm-up. And if after the warm-up you want to go home, you're more than welcome to. I won't hold it against you. And anytime someone does that, they never go home after the warm-up. They go in, they kind of piss and moan a little bit. They get their, their gym gear on, they drag themselves out. Maybe they hop on a cardio machine for a couple of minutes, do a couple of stretches, do a couple of warm-up exercises. And before you know it, they're like, actually, you know what? I feel grand. I'm just going to go and do this session now because I'm here and I got started. But it all started because they got their ass in the gym just to do a warm-up. If the intention was go to the gym and do this workout, I don't care how you feel, just get it done. They would have been in rebellion. They would have been in conflict with themselves and they probably just wouldn't have bothered going to the gym. But making it easy to go and implement that and get started builds momentum. And once momentum starts, it's a lot easier to get that thing going. It's the law of inertia, right? If you have an, immo an immovable object, it's very hard to get that thing rolling. But once you've got it in motion and it's moving, it's very easy to keep it going. Think of it like a heavy ball, like a heavy rock or something, right? Or even pushing a car if a car needs to be pushed and pushed out. It's very hard to get it moving at the start. But once you've got the wheels moving, once it's gone, it's very easy to keep that thing in motion. And we always should shoot for that momentum over motivation. Because if you're just waiting for motivation to come before you go and do something, you'll be left waiting. You'll be like a car that needs a jump start. You won't get anywhere and you'll be sitting there feeling like the victim. Whereas what you really need in that situation is some momentum. Is what's one thing I can do just to get the ball rolling, to get me moving. And then once I'm moving, things flow a lot easier. So use that two-minute rule. Whatever the habit is you want to start doing, implement that. Two minutes, that's the minimum commitment. And once you've got that done, you can worry about the next thing. And then on the flip side of that, if you've got something you want to stop doing, or you have it that, smoking, drinking alcohol, eating bad foods, um, snapping too soon, you know, just being really hot-headed and rash and aggressive, whatever it is, the habit that you're in that you want to stop, use the opposite. So make it harder to do that. And it ties back into some of the concepts we spoke about earlier. But if one of the things that you want to stop doing is skipping your gym sessions, let's stick with that as the example, we'll make it hard to do that. Now, what are the things that could make that harder? Well, an easy one's having a friend or someone who's an accountability partner. So imagine you train with a friend, right? You've got a friend who you meet in the gym every day. It's very hard for you to skip your gym session when you know someone's going to be in the gym at that time waiting specifically for you. Or another great way of doing it is sign up to a gym to do, say, classes and pay them all in advance because now it's actually costing you money to skip that session. And that makes it a lot harder because if, you, if you're not body and if you're kind of half-assing it and there's no financial commitment, there's no other person who's in there waiting for you, it's easy just to throw in the towel. like, I, you know what, I'm going to leave it today. But if you're actually being, it's costing you money to skip that session or you're going to receive a text from your not-so-happy friend who's saying, here, where the fuck are you? I'm in the gym and I've been waiting half an hour and I haven't seen you yet. It's very difficult to actually do that. And most people don't want to be that person. It ties into the identity again of, I don't want to be someone who lets other people down. I want to be a good friend. I don't want to leave my friend hanging, etc. And that's what makes it harder to, to continue doing some of those old habits that we want to stop, like skipping your gym session. And then the last, but definitely not least important of these is the final piece, which ties into the fourth step of the habit uh, loop. Remember, it was cue, craving, response, reward. And the final fourth law of behavior change is to make it satisfying. So make it satisfying for yourself to implement this new habit. And a great example that James gave in the book was that there was this couple who wanted to start saving up for a trip to Europe. They were American. Americans use that phrase, go to Europe. Europe's massive, so I don't know whereabouts in Europe they wanted to go. But anyways, they wanted to go to Europe, but they were eating out too much. 
they were going out for dinner every night of the week they weren't cooking at home etc and they were just spending a bomb eating out so they wanted to start eating in more and they wanted to go to Europe so the habit that they started was anytime they didn't go on a night out so let's say usually they'd have uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday was the nights they go out for dinner well they made the habit to start staying in on those nights and having a home cooked meal what they also done on those nights was take $50 which was roughly about how much they spend on their meals out and put that into a specific savings account for Europe. It was called Europe, I think was the bank account. And every Monday, Wednesday, Friday that they did not go out for dinner, they stayed home and had a home-cooked meal, they were allowed to put $50 into that account. And they'd done that for the year, and at the end of the year, they used that money to then fund the trip to Europe. And if you think how brilliant that is in playing into the habit loop, not only are they stopping the old habit of going out, but making it unattractive because they want to stay back, they've tied it into the identity, I want to go to Europe, I want to travel, if I'm going out to eat every night, I won't have money to go traveling. So automatically there's that conflict, there's that clash in values. But now I'm making it satisfying to actually stick to it. Because every time I don't go out, now I get to put 50 euro in that or $50 in that Europe account. And I'm $50 closer to actually getting there. And that feels great. Every single time I don't do it, I'm one step closer to where I want to be. So we want to make it satisfying for ourselves. We want to make it an enjoyable experience as much as is possible. You're not going to enjoy every second of it, of course. And one of the important things that we do is make sure that the reward, the enjoyment, isn't working conversely to our goal. Because if you've got a weight loss goal, for example, and you say, you know, I'm going to reward myself after every gym session, I'm going to get a big Mac out of McDonald's, right? Probably not the best strategy. So you want to make sure it's in alignment with what we want, but at the same time, still rewarding, still makes us feel good. And those are the four laws of behavior change. Make it easy, make it attractive, make it easy and make it satisfying. Sorry, make it visible, make it attractive, make it easy, make it satisfying. And with those four things, you can use them to start implementing new habits. And if there's old habits you want to stop doing, we use the inverse or the converse of that, which is make it invisible or make it hard to see, make it unattractive, make it difficult to do, and make it not satisfying or unsatisfying to actually complete that. And with these four laws, we can then start to shape our behaviors. We can choose ones, choose habits that are more aligned with what we actually want, what we want to be doing in life, what's tied to our aspirational identity. And with that, we'll be able to live a life that's more in alignment with who we want to be, what we want to have, what we want to achieve, and overall, the, the kind of life we want to live, which is the most important thing. So I hope you got some value from that. As I said, the book is great. So I'd highly recommend picking it up if you found this interesting, if you found these concepts uh, in any way thought-provoking the book goes into much more detail gives lots of great examples lots of really practical tips for you to take away but even if you never pick up the book i hope you got enough from this to say you know what the reason i am where i am right now is not because of faith it's not because of circumstances it's not because of nature right those things all played a role but i'm a grown man or a grown woman i'm in whatever age bracket i'm in right now i'm here because to a certain extent i chose to be here I've developed the habits. I've picked up the habits along the way. And if I want to get out of this position, the responsibility is on me to make the change. So I need to say today, enough is enough. I want to start doing these things or I want to stop doing these things because this is where I want to be one, two, five, 10, 20 years from now. And if I'm going to get there, it starts with these small but significant changes made right now, right today. And if you take nothing else away from this podcast episode, but that, that the onus is on you to take responsibility to move yourself closer to where and who you want to be, then that's plenty. But I hope you got a little bit more from it than just that. 
So I hope that was useful. As always, feel free to reach out. Let me know what you took. I'd love to hear it. And if you go implement some of this stuff and find it useful, you find it valuable, it actually helps you start a new habit or stop an old habit, let me know because you definitely can teach an old dog some new tricks and you can change things when you decide you want. But more importantly, when you set the environment and the systems up around yourself to make it successful, stop relying on motivation, stop relying on willpower, stop relying on discipline and set yourself up for success. So until next time, my friends, enjoy and all the best.